you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. We have uh, no power steering. We have no power steering after 13 kilometers of stage. No power steering. What's wrong? No guess, no power steering. And we have two long stages to go. I, I'm fed up with this car. I don't understand. We had, should be no rain. I took the hardest tire and... Oh, oh. Like driving, you know, in the trousers all the time. This is not nice. Welcome to the latest edition of Spin the Rally Pod. There may be no action out on the stages, but we've still got plenty of rally conversation to bring you. We are all in our usual splendid isolation, which is what some people say is the best for all of us to be kept apart. But we bring you together via the glories of technology. I'm Lisa O'Sullivan and I'm currently in the southeast of England looking out in the garden and very, very pleased to have got away from digging lots of compost and so glad to be talking about rallying. Also on the line, we've got the... I'm trying to think of a good word for you, Colin. I'm just going to call you Colin yes. Clark. Hi, Lisa, yeah. We've got David, Evan, <laughs> David Evans and George Donaldson. All of you guys can come up with your own fantastic descriptions. But we're going a little bit different this time. We're not going to talk about what's happening in the world at the moment. We're going to look back in time. And we've decided to pick some of our rally heroes of the past. And we're going to start with the absolutely fantastic, the one and only... Marcus Ulf Johan Gronholm. I had to look that up, guys. Born on February the 5th, 1968. Great rally driver. Discuss. Can I start, guys? Am I allowed to start? Yeah, I think Fine you should, way. George. Okay, so... So my history with Marcus is is fabulous, and I could talk to I could talk about Marcus for hours, but I would actually rather I would rather he was involved in the conversation. Of course, maybe we should get him along because he'd be a willing participant. <laughs> of course, Marcus. My first experience with Marcus was in Toyota team back in 1991, but but Toyota's experience with Marcus goes back before that, and it goes back to my previous my my boss at Toyota, which was Uwe Anderson. And Uwe Anderson, I think, was a very good friend of Marcus Gronholm's dad, who was a factory driver for, I can't remember, various teams. Um, I think, uh, I can't remember all the all the events he was involved with. But anyway, I think that Uwe Anderson might have been Marcus's godfather. And um, anyway, the result was Marcus was an up and coming driver. Uwe Anderson was a lovely man. Um, 
tough, tough operator at times, but he looked after Marcus and gave him opportunities and generated opportunities. And Marcus got an opportunity to drive what was actually a bit of a pig of a car in 1991. The 1991 Toyota Celica GT4 wasn't the best version of the car we had in any of the years. And it was a year where we um, we we had been world champions in, well, we had world champion driver in 1990 uh, with Carlos Sainz. He failed in 91 to get the championship. The car was a wee bit difficult to drive. And of course they got it in 1992. That was two Carlos's two world championships. But we're not talking about him. Marcus Gronholm was gifted a drive in Finland because the car was a bit difficult to drive. It was running a blocker in it, as I recall, in 91. So it was just straight four-wheel drive. We couldn't, uh, the, the engine power had gone up so much in the preceding year that the hydrostatic uh, four-wheel drive system really couldn't cope with the power differential. So the, the, the way we could make the car go quickest was with a blocker. Now, we ran blockers in the WRC for a short while. And then we've gone back to the electronic and the hydraulic diffs again. So um, so that was Marcus Gronholm. We got brought in and he went incredibly well. But my very first memory of him was the, the last service, um, uh, at the end of the last stage. Well, it wasn't the last service. It was the first service after the last stage of the first day of Thousand Lakes Rally. And it was dark because it ran up to late at night. Marcus came out of the stage. He'd been upside down and th through the woods. And he brought this wrecked car out. And he, of course, he, he, he was the same size then as he is now, all gangly and young and keen and enthusiastic. And he came leaping out the car at the stoplight, having spotted me and a gentleman called Kevin Verright. I think it would have been at the end of the stage. And Marcus was flying over the bonnet and asking us what to do and this and that and the next thing. We were on the radio to uh, the chief engineer, Pepper, saying, OK, Pepper, this is the situation. We can patch it up and it'll take three or four minutes to get it patched enough to get it into main service where the main group is. It was only, I think, maybe 15, 20 kilometres away. So that's what we did. We, we went underneath the car, made sure all the wheels were, were going to stay attached and made sure it wasn't leaking too much water. I think we stemmed one oil leak that out of, out of uh, a heat exchanger at the front and uh, and sent him on his way and Marcus was was leaping around and if you imagine Marcus uh, with no filters at all at his most young and crazy that's my memory and it was just a special Marcus get back in yeah. the car and go are you sure is it okay thank you thank you and jumps into the car and, and you say Marcus look take it easy you know your, your wheels are all pointing the wrong way be a wee bit careful I think he had one front brake was gone or something like that as well just take your time. It's okay. Main service. And don't worry. I mean, the, at that time, service wasn't timed. So you had a, a generous road section and you would probably get, you know, 45 to 50 minutes service potentially uh, before penalty lateness. Um, and and that was Marcus. And then we went in and I, I, the rest of that event's a blur for me. I think he finished 14th or 15th at the end, but he had been doing incredibly well earlier on. I tried to check out some times. George, what I... What I find really interesting about that story is that you know, a lot of us who perhaps weren't quite around in those days or certainly weren't uh, quite the aficionados of rally that, that, that you are, um, you know, the assumption is that, that Gronholm really didn't make it. He didn't appear on the scene until his latter years. But from what you're saying, he was always on the radar, even in his early 20s. Well, I mean, seeing as we're starting off at the beginning, so Marcus got that opportunity and went very well. Um, so what he did was... Uwe Anderson lent him a car 
So he effectively rented a car from us. Now, Toyota didn't rent cars in those days, so this was a special. But basically, the car was, was given to Toyota Finland. And we did the same with Sweden, and we did the same with, with Australia and other, other things. We, we rented cars to them, very, very advantageous rates. George, just, just and, a, a quick question. Would, uh-huh. would that have been a proper sort of factory car? Oh, was, yes. was it ex- exactly the same spec as, as a Carlos car or, or one of those kind of cars? Uh, the, the, the ones used locally, they might not have quite had the latest, uh, or should we say the highest spec engine tuning in them, because obviously those engines might only do, you know, eight or 900 competition kilometres, because that's what, kind of what we did in those days, eight, 800 to 1,000 kilometres in an event. We could do up to that. So there was, there was, I think we called them A engines and B engines. Uh, and I think there was also recce engines as well. So these yeah. would have been, these guys would have had B engines. Now they were exactly the same as the A engines, but when they got put onto the dyno in, at Col- in at Cologne, and we had the most wonderful engine department and they were so diligent. It was run by um, uh, uh, fantastic engineers uh, whom, I, whom I will not name in order to protect them. <laughs> but then uh, coming down the rung, you know, the, the workshop was managed by a fantastic chap called Gert Dix, um, who uh, who ran that place uh, with such diligence and precision. Um, he still builds lots of George. Toyota engines. Yes. George, it's all lovely, George, but we're talking about Oh, wrong. we're getting to the engine. So the point being, the point being was... The point being was, yes, the engine was very, very similar to the one that you would get on the event. It might have been 10 horsepower down. Therefore, it didn't make the A grade. It was stuck in the B grade. So that was that was Gert. He would have had those engines sorted out like that. So it would have been a B-spec engine. And it would have been good for, you know, a couple of thousand kilometres, I guess, David, as a result. Right. So that's what he got. We're talking about young. We, we, we need to move much more on to... We, we are a little short of time, okay. George. So much more on the Marquis. So uh, as you mentioned there, Colin, perhaps I think the the biggest thing I find with Marcus Gronholm is I don't feel he ever got the credit really mm. for how good he was when he was competing. But he was a driver who was always within a handful of points of the great Sebastian Loeb by the end of the season. And do you think he, he really has the credit he deserves? Yeah, do you know what? It's a difficult one, that, because I think most people appreciate Gronholm for, for what he was, and he was just the most supremely gifted driver. Um, yeah, he probably would have won in a different... It's difficult to say, you know, because if he'd gone back 10 years, there were a lot of drivers around capable of winning. He then found himself in between that generation and the dominance generation, which was Loeb and then obviously uh, Ogier. Um, but, you know, I think Gronholm was unique. Gron- Gronholm was quite different. He, he was a, a Colin McRae-style driver in that he really did put it all on the line uh, with a character to match and quite an unfinished-like character at times, David. He, he spoke his mind. He said some very entertaining things. And if you look on YouTube, <laughs> there are, there's role after role of video there of, of Gronholm quotes. But whether he was given credit or not, I, I think he probably is. I, I think people do appreciate just how brilliant a driver Gronholm was. But on top of that, uh, you know, they remember him as being just, you know, a fantastic rally man. Fantastic rally man, a fantastic rally character and a wonderful champion for the sport, David. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, for me, I think actually he... <laughs> he 
he kind of was at the sharp end when the sport was was in one of its golden generations. Mm. You know, he won his first championship twenty years ago in two thousand, and the greats were all still there. Carlos was there, to, you know, Tommy was there, Kankinen was there. They were all there, but there's, there's certain events that you can kind of look at and and pick out and think, yeah, you know, that shows a driver's greatness. And you know, perhaps when when Loeb had come along, maybe I think Grunel had actually gone past his his absolute best. Um, but but yeah. but looking back, you know, to 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 ninety nine, you know, before that Peugeot came along, he he did two events. He did the Swedish and the Seat, which was you know it wasn't a great car. But then he got into the Mitsubishi, uh, which George, you'll you'll again you'll be able to speak more eloquently about this. But that Mitsubishi, the Lancer, he drove the Charisma, of course. Uh, in in Portugal, it wasn't an easy car to drive. You know, we'd seen so many drivers struggle with it. Okay, Burnsy was great in it, and of course, Tommy was a legend. It was Tommy's car. Uh, but to get into that car, and George, can you explain just briefly why that car was difficult, and how Grunholm could get into it and almost be quickest? And he, you know, he broke. I think the trim, the gearbox broke. Something broke, and he didn't finish. But that was one of those events early in his career. Uh, he was like 30 or something, but still he hadn't done so many events. But it was a show that he had something. And of course, he was then on his way to Peugeot anyway. Well, I mean, I was, I was, I was alluding to that when you, when you bulldozed over me and jumped forward 10, 10 or 12 years <laughs> earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, George. George, George we, we don't have the rest of the day to get through calm. your 12 years, get this, I think I've been, I've been thinking about this for minutes. So it's going to be concise now. So, <laughs> okay, 1991 right. to 95, Marcus drove... Uh, <laughs> Marcus drove um, uh, his... Um, actually, up to, up to 98, he drove uh, Finnish Championship... He did the Swedish rally and he would pick one or two other WRCs a year that he could get finance from for. And, and he, did the Georgie did the Scottish rally in ninety four? He might have done. I can't remember that. And he's, was it any Celica? Yep. My, that was God. my first memory of him. Wow. Uh, I'm sure I, it was ninety three or ninety four. I wasn't here. So look he did he did what he could. Um and, and actually we, we promoted him very heavily at Toyota. And when oh. uh, when Phil Short left Toyota uh, he he gave he made a throwaway comment to the press. Phil Short was the team manager at Toyota. He made a throwaway comment, which Marcus was infurious about, uh, and, and Uwe Anderson was furious, and I, as one of Marcus's friends, was furious about. Uh, he said, "Well, Marcus is quite a good driver, and he's able to go quite quick, but he'll never win anything." That was Phil Short's comment. Oof. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it, then that, that put a, a damper on Marcus's career for another two or three years. When we, when we got the Corolla up and running, Marcus got to go come to the, the fore again and did very, very well on the very first outing of the Corolla, ran out of petrol on the, on the last day where, the, where somebody had been dicking around with the, the fuel mappings. And um, I think also there might have been a mistake with the, the fuel tanking system as well anyway he ran out of fuel and that was his rally over thousand lakes rally 1997 but it did enough it did enough and this is the this is the best story of all now so now this is the this is the gold story from this whole thing there's there's, there's more but basically at the end of that event everyone was thinking oh yeah marcus once again you know not not actually managing to win very much but our uh, our press uh, guy a guy called Gwyn Dolphin, a very good friend of mine, he put out the story that Marcus was going to be employed full-time by Toyota, and uh, which was not the case because Uva was set on having 
despite being a big supporter of Marcus, he had money for two drivers and he was going to take Diddy Oriel and he was going to take Carlos Sainz. That was his target. So we put this story out. We leaked it out to a particular person in the press who was a bit um, a bit free with his tongue. And within an hour of leaking that story out that Marcus was going to be signed to Toyota, this story came back to us. Somebody totally different came out. Is it true you're signing Marcus? Well, we're not at liberty to say yet, but certainly it's being discussed. And all of a sudden that ignited the interest from all the other teams in Marcus. By Monday morning, this was, that was on the Sunday afternoon, by Monday morning, Marcus had phone calls and was being flown to ProDrive, to M Sport, to Peugeot. He had offers from everyone, and I think even wow. Seat at the time. He got all those offers coming in, and away he went and was feted. And again, it came back to us. He, he really wanted to drive the Toyota. and then. But the, the funny thing about that whole situation was that Uwe Anderson got tangled up and decided he should also be wanting to sign Marcus Grandholm up. Um, <laughs> actually, I think, I think that wasn't 97. I think that was actually 98. I think it was. It was 98. So he did that first, similar the following year. It was, it was 98. And that was when Peugeot was just coming up. And I had to sit there as team manager of Toyota and then as a friend say to Marcus, Marcus, look, it's Peugeot. Look at what they did before. Uh, you know, when they came in before with the T16, they came in for four or five years. They blew everything away. They resourced it properly and they did a great job. And we were at that time not sure whether we would continue past uh, 2000. As it was, we ended in 1999. So um, we, we had said to Marcus, look, go to, go to, um, go to Peugeot, do your build-up year with the two-wheel drive car. And when it comes out to the four-wheel drive, you'll just blow everyone away because the other guys that are being employed by Peugeot are going to be fighting amongst themselves, which was absolutely true. Gilles Panizzi and uh, Francois Delacour, they just fought so much, Marcus came through and stole the limelight from them. So that was Marcus. That was his route to getting a factory drive. I, was, I, was, I instigated wow. uh, some of it along with colleagues. And, and of course, Didn't, Marcus's brilliance. Can I brilliance. ask you about... We, we, we all know that the difference between rally drivers and other common or garden, garden drivers is their mechanical skills as well. Can we talk about Marcus the mechanic? Because I remember, and I can't remember which event it was because I have a terrible memory, but I, I think it might have been Greece um, in the in the mid-noughties, where um, a lot of the drivers were having problems with their brakes burning out. So Marcus's solution was to change his brakes at the end of every stage. And he was getting a little bit tight on various time elements because he wasn't just swapping the tyres around, he was changing the brakes as well. I have no recollection of that uh, Lisa, that was news to me I wouldn't have known that Marcus was a brilliant mechanic because nearly all my discussion is with Marcus is is have been in bars or restaurants or or in the back of (laughs) motorhomes discussing tactics and strategy for stages Um, I know he's all fingers and thumbs in in some ways but Uh, maybe I've got the wrong wrong. he's also my memory's terrible he's also absolutely brilliant at managing what he's got you know he'll he'll drive a three-wheeler a bit like you are Kankin and you know he'll drive a three-wheeler and still get a fast time Carlos Sainz was another one that could do that um, which, which we've got to just say, George. You talked about three wheels there. We, we really have to reference that that conversation he had with the, <laughs> with the Welsh constabulary when he he really did feel he could make it back to service. But I can drive. It, it was another classic, wasn't it? You it know, was it was absolutely 
TV and, gold. and no doubt, yeah, he would have been he would have been probably quicker down that bit of road on three wheels than that than poor, the policeman on four. That poor policeman just was terrified to leave <laughs> because Marcus wouldn't take no for an it answer. A, it was the funniest bit of TV. Ever. It was a great quote, oh. wasn't it? Yeah, you can't drive that yes, car like that on the roads. Yes, I can drive that car. You just won't let me drive it. <laughs> I think I think the policeman deserved actually a sainthood for that whole thing. In reality, it was a wonderful little bit of miscommunication, and it just played but it out was, so I, well. I think you know that two hundred six. We talked earlier about drivers, you know, their cars. We we saw it, you know, with with McRae in the in the Impreza five 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 and with Loeb in various Citroens. For sure, two thousand that Peugeot, the two hundred six. WRC, that was Gronholm's car. He got in there and he just made it his, didn't he? Uh, and it, it was rare to find a driver to just settle down and get on with it so quickly. Yeah. I mean, within even did- Swedish, didn't he? A second. Yep. They all had the problem, didn't they, on on the the Monte in two thousand, where all of the cars failed to start. They they wouldn't come out apart firmly. That's right, isn't it, George? That's, that's quite you a had nor- the same quite- problem. It's quite a normal one. Subarus have done the same. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Citroen did the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. Quite, quite. Citroen did Yeah, they've all, they've all had the cold start issues in, in Monte Carlo or, or in Sweden in the past. I think it was Sweden where uh, where the Subarus failed one year. Um, it's just it's just a, an inevitability. But but going back to that, you know, Mark has been able to drive anything. David, you alluded to, to it earlier. He jumped into that Mitsubishi back in, was it 98 mm. or something, 97 or 98? 99. The start 99, 99 was it. There you go. Um, and basically he... Um, he he went as quick as Tommy until he until he yeah. had uh, did he have a suspension breakage or a gear breakage? I thought or something? it was gearbox or something. Maybe gearbox, yeah, gearbox. yeah, put put him out of it, but went incredibly well immediately. You know, one of a handful of drivers to have managed that that feat. So boys, I mean, you've you've seen a lot more of Marcus than I did. I mean, I came onto the scene if you like in two thousand and five, which was unfortunately just at the back end of Marcus's career, but. David, what, what do you think it was that made him into such a great champion? What, what did he have about him? What was it about Gronholm that made him so capable of winning? He had absolute raw speed and he had complete compatibility with the car. Uh, and, and, you know, George said it earlier, you know, he had the ability to drive around problems. Uh, and in all honesty, there weren't that many problems with the with the Persia, you know, he started winning in Sweden in 2000 and didn't seem to stop winning. Okay, there were... There were issues, you know, when uh, when the the next car came along, the the three oh seven was it, um, which you know was an awful pig of a car. Um, but Gronholm just he had absolute speed, total commitment, uh, and bags and bags of talent, and and you know that compatibility with the car is everything to a driver. He knew when he got into it, he knew what it would do. He could second guess it, and. When you've got confidence and comfort in a car like that, you know driving on the on the limit almost comes naturally to a driver. He, he is. Um, I mean, just alluding back to the conversation from earlier, you know, it, it, you, someone said it was it was unfortunate that uh, he came up against Sebastian Loeb. No, it wasn't. He was the only driver that ever took Sebastian Loeb head on and repeatedly won and became a world champion against him. I know, I know that Mikko Hervonen would maybe be the guy that you would say that about uh, because he came up against uh, uh, Loeb when he was absolutely at his most supreme. But um, Marcus, Marcus took him on and, and Sebastian Loeb was really upset when Marcus retired because he loved those fights. He loved that battle. 
and he knew he had You've to give everything. George, I, we've got to jump back. I mean, mm. to my mind, you know, Gronholm never actually beat Loeb, you know, in a, across the spread of a season in a fair fight because, you know, he won his last championship in 02 and then Loeb came along really after that. But for me, the one that really showed that Gronholm could take <laughs> Loeb was that year in New Zealand when it was the New Zealand. in whatever Absolutely. year it was, six or mm. seven, I can't remember. But And it was seven-tenths of a second yeah. that Marcus won by. Ab- I mean, in the last yeah. stage, in the last yeah. stage, was, right in front of the service park. How good was Unbelievable. that? Unbelievable, yeah. It, it was incredible because he had time to make up that morning and he went into that last stage. And I think he was behind going into the last stage, wasn't he? And he had to, yeah. he had to win it on that. And it wasn't a proper stage. This was a stage... Around the service park, it was like a Hampton a Downs. Mickey Mouse type was stage, it not wasn't Hampton it? Downs? What was it? What was the place? No, no, no. It was uh, Hamil- it was in Hamilton. Well, we that, in that, Hamilton, that, yeah. agricultural it was, it was, park in Hamilton. It was in the agricultural, yeah. correct? And he absolutely threw Mystery everything Creek. at it. And that Mystery was, Creek. Mystery Creek. Ah, well done, you. Well <laughs> the mystery done. was well why done, we were well there. Well done, your computer. Ah, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, it was New Zealand, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, no, I remember being at that stop line, and it was one of the most magical moments. And you know, you saw emotion from, from Gronholm quite often. He wasn't one to hide his emotions. But my goodness me, they spilled out at that moment, yeah. didn't they? And he got on the roof of the car. He was punching the air. Yeah. He was jumping up and down. It was, uh, he, he knew he'd beaten, you know, possibly the greatest driver of all time in a straight fight. And it was magnificent. Yeah, it was. It was. And it, ultimately, I mean, it was, for me, it was a real shame. Uh, the way in, in at the end of 2007 where the way Grom's championship challenges really ended you know he'd announced he was going to retire at the end of 07 and then he went into that rally Ireland with a chance but it, I think he, he had to win uh, in Ireland against Loeb and you know it was a very very difficult event I can't mm-hmm. remember the name of the stage or the lock or the lake or whatever but he hit the wall didn't he side Lock's, off mm-hmm. um, Lockstrawn Lockstrawn a, a decent sized like impact wasn't it let's be honest yeah and mm. and that was the end of it. Very and sad. It, it was, you know, because I, I, as much as I would love to have seen him take another championship in the in the early noughties, I'm not sure at the end of 07 that he really had another championship left in him. One of the absolute telling moments was at the end of Oinipoya in probably in Finland in 07, when I think, I think he just about beat Mikko in the same car, mm. and this was the difference at the end of the stage. Gronholm came through and he looked absolutely white. He looked terrified at what he'd had to do uh, to, to bring the car through that quickly. And it was that year, I think, that you remember coming into Kakaristo, Mikko was in the ditch, uh, the, the back of the car was in the ditch and he just kept it lit and it yes. pulled it through. Mm. And the difference was Gronholm came through white, didn't want to ever go back down that road again. <laughs> Mikko, Mikko came through and he wanted to go straight back to the start and have another go. And, and Gronholm said to me at that point, you know, I think this is it. I think I'm done. Well, I mean, at that point, Marcus had been driving World Rally cars for for 16 years. Think how many frights. That's 16 years worth of chances taken, you know. I guess you know as a driver when you've you've reached the limit, you know, actually, because it's a numbers game. Eventually, everything gets you. Ah. You know, it's like an an aerobatic pilot. You know, the, the, there's there's old pilots and there's bold pilots, but there's not old bold pilots, and maybe that makes Marcus the smartest guy of all because he retired when he did pretty well at the top of the tree. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people as well, when pictures were scarce and we had to wait for one 
hour a week to watch rally catch up as well. Marcus on the radio has always been gold. In the most quirky stage end, we've spoken about the the TV pictures that are on the internet, but the clicks, the (laughs) noises we used to get from Marcus, it was just gold, absolutely gold. Again, this is a whole load that we can't go without mentioning. We cannot go without mentioning up in the ass of Timo which now features on a on a on a t-shirt uh, at Rally Finland I, I, was that it was Cyprus was it or, or somewhere Cyprus I'm sure Cyprus it was. or Turkey might have been Turkey yeah Turkey that yeah we have to stop because it came some stone or something through Timo's uh, seat up in the ass of Timo yeah and, and, the, and the steel rod came up through the floor of the car and went quite literally <laughs> up into the ass of Timo I've never asked exactly where that steel pole went, but it quite clearly did, didn't. It didn't. I, I don't want to know. And I, Up in I the really ass, like, George. I really like Timo, and I don't if want to know. If you need to, to ask George, then you're struggling. You're struggling. Somebody <laughs> somewhere has kept that. How does Marcus wow. know that? I mean, did he did he get down there and have a look, or what? I mean, honestly, I just don't want to know. <laughs> don't think about but it. But it, it it wasn't. It, it wasn't just the actual words. It was the it was the fist. You remember he made the fist and he sort of thumped the fist just to really just to really hammer the point home. Quite. Uh, and I, I think on yeah. that note, it's a Enough. good time to to draw a veil on the career of rally legend, rally man through and through. That was only that was only part one, Lisa. That, honestly, that was only that part was one. Of more. We'll come back. We'll come back to that. Yeah, his, his dad was a rally champion. His son making a name for himself in rally cross now as well. So, yeah, a rally man through and through, Marcus Gronholm. And if you want us to talk um, about your memories of rallying, I think the best thing to do is send your questions to at Voice of Rally. And um, David, what's your uh, at uh, David Evans Rally or at Dirtfish? As well, at, you can go to Dirtfish. At Dirtfish. Let's go for at Dirtfish. That's the best way. So, yeah, ping your requests to at Dirtfish. And here on the Rally Pod, we'll do our best to try and cover subjects that might be of interest to you and keep you laughing over uh, what can be very challenging times at the moment for everyone. But we'll be back very soon with another Spin the Rally Pod special. See you, boys. See you, Lise. See you, Lise. Is that us done at the moment then, guys, is it? <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs>